Welcome to the 24 Faithful Podcast. We are talking about season one, and we are doing a quick recap or kind of tying up some loose ends as we finish up season one. As usual, we are joined by Bradley and Joel, and so excited to have you guys with us today. I was absent for most of the episode last week, just kind of popped in there at the end, but Hopefully, Joel will get over his resentment of that. But on for today. Never. <laughs> on for today, though, we realized <laughs> that we didn't actually conclude all the different pieces uh, regarding the way the ending was. And so we're going to start by looking at some of the things they're talking about. Jack's revenge on the docks there when he's told that Kim has been killed and so forth. So I think we'll start with... Bradley on this. I mean, this is the best action sequence in the show, isn't it? There are so many good ones. I mean, I I love the Coliseum finale at the end of season two. I love the <laughs> James Nathanson stuff in season five. That they, they did some amazing action sequences over the course of these eight, nine seasons. But this is surely the best one, isn't it? Pretty close, at least. It was pretty good. One of them. It hurt my head to try to, you know, break down all eight seasons of action sequences and try to break them. But uh, I'll put this one up there. Yeah, kind of the I have the same thought. Of course, I haven't rewatched all of the other things recently to to have it fresh in my mind as to that. But this is definitely one of them. Especially, I mean, it's obviously very, very high impact. It's like the accumulation of the season. So there's a lot of action that takes place in different parts of this season. And so there's a whole sequence of Jack hunting gains and so there's that whole sequence which was really cool and so how he breaks in and rescues terry and kim and and then hunts him down so that was really good and this i think is even higher definitely better it just works a lot better and so you see jack like just the fact that he has this primal instinct that's been drilled into him to be able to do this and so he basically went in like nothing to lose, um, even though he did have Terry that was quote-unquote safe. Um, and and he still goes in and does that because he thinks he's lost his daughter and now he's just going to exact revenge on all of them. He just goes in and almost like he doesn't care, but he's still very calculated in the things that he's doing as he's going through. But I think just that little nudge of revenge kind of pushed him to to get away from the cautious side and to just take action. Uh, but it, it just really kind of established Jack's um, frame of mind and, and just the way his character is, how he's had such great training to where even in the heat of the moment, he can still make some calculated moves. I think you hit it right there, actually. I mean, we end up obviously seeing in later seasons how big his vengeance is um, at certain times. But you're right. I mean, we see here that kind of, Yes, Terry is safe, but losing Kim, it's not a ca- I don't think it's a case of he's reckless and kind of doesn't care what happens to him. But I think there is a, a part of him that kind of, I mean, he's come to the docks expecting to die, hasn't he? He's come here. We, we talked about the phone call last week with Terry, the last one that they had. And he set up this whole, this whole trade is essentially based around, they let my daughter go, they take me, they kill me. Everything ends there. Therefore, thereafter, Kim and Terry are safe. The dragons go away because I'm dead, and that's all that really matters. Whether or not 
you know, I imagine that he part of his plan was to kill Andre and Victor in the trade, but he's gone there with the full preparation of, well, if I die, my family is safe. That's all that matters to him. And so, yeah, I think, you know, once he has that belief that Kim is dead, then what is his life still? As long as the Drazens aren't allowed to hurt anyone else, as long as ultimately he gets revenge, he kills them for killing his daughter, then he'd be happy, I think. Well, I mean, I'm sure he, in the back of his mind, he thought about Terry and whether she'd be safe. As a parent, one thing that they always say as a parent is that you're never supposed to bury your children. It's supposed to be the other way around. So the fact that he thought, at least, that he lost his daughter, I think that sent him to another realm that I don't think at that point, I think he was just kind of, you know, the the term seeing red. I just think he was seeing red the entire time. I think he... He went in there with the with the mindset that you know if I if I die, it's going to be after I kill the Dreads. And I think that was his whole mindset going in. Um because in his mind, even though he still had Terry, he lost pretty much the most important thing in his life at that moment. You get a sense of that from the music from Sean Callery. I mean, I've mentioned him a fair amount of times in the course of these podcasts, but I mean, he is utterly superb as a composer. 24 would not be the same without him. And, you know, this scene, you think about if you saw this sort of action scene on many other shows or in many other films, they'd probably focus on the action side of it, wouldn't it? It would be, you know, that bombastic, this, um, our hero is going in and killing the villain, triumphant type kind of thing. Instead, it is actually kind of really dour, almost almost really sad as it is. it conveys the action still. So there is very much that focus on, well, although we should kind of be happy that, you know, it, it's called Jack's Revenge at the Docks. This is the whole premise of it. We should be happy that Jack's getting his revenge over these people that we hate because they're evil. But ultimately, we also kind of feel the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. And I think the sequence was even more intense because even though Jack has been in danger many times up to this point, if Jack was going to be killed, this would be a very almost logical place for that to take place. It's at the very end of the season. As as far as the public, I think they got signed off on the season two, like just a couple of days before this aired. And so there, there may have been a lot of people that didn't even realize that season two was was in the works or whatever but as far as anybody watching would be concerned this could be it that 24 is going to do and here we have jack bauer that potentially really could die at this point and so and so i think that really kind of increased the 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 tension in there as well during the sequence the thing the american public did not know is that jack is the terminator (laughs) i mean ultimately like I mean, Victor's plan is fairly genius, isn't it? Because he knows he himself, I mean, the whole day centers around this idea. This idea being that his family died and now he's getting revenge on the people that killed him. Killed them, sorry. So he is very much right in having Nina tell Jack that Kim's dead once they lost her and knowing that he would come and try and get revenge. I mean, that's his last line, isn't it? He'll come. Believe me, I know. And 
I mean, it is actually a really good plan. It's just Jack's quite good. And the Drazens partly weren't expecting it, and partly I don't think they're particularly good at killing people. I have to say, that's the only reason that it fell apart for Victor. I mean, it was a great plan. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I'm thinking of, too, during this is that we can really see the struggle that Jack has. It goes throughout all the seasons, too, is where you see Jack's desire is to be able to settle down, to be able to be a family man, to be able to just live life as a normal person. I mean, that that is like, that's like everything, that thread always goes through. He's always trying to do that, but he's just so good at what he does. And of course, he's had so many enemies come up as, as well, because you think about him, because he had the Drazen Nightfall, whatever, two years previous, but he's trying to settle in. He's trying to be able to settle down with his family. He's reuniting with his wife. Of course, he didn't know, but pregnant and about to have another kid. But then filtering throughout all the rest of the seasons, too, he's always wanting to get away from that life, try to settle with his daughter. We get into the season two at the beginning. He's wanting nothing to do with CTU or the government or anything like that. He's wanting to try to restore a relationship with his daughter and just to be able to be normal. And he's doing this throughout. We get even fast forward to season eight, the beginning of season eight. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm grandpa and I'm going to live my life as, as a grandpa. And that all gets thwarted. But he's constantly getting thrown into this because he's just really good at what he does. But he has the struggle of wanting to settle down. And you see that here as, as a result of all this too, here in season one. You see that he wants to settle down. But at the same time, does he really? Because, I mean, you said it yourself. At the beginning of of a lot of these seasons, Jack is out of the game. He's doing his own thing. He's trying to get away from that life. But it doesn't take that much to get him back into the game. So it's like, does he really want to settle down? Or is he addicted to the life that he has with CTU? Saving the world, stopping the bombs, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's like you said at the beginning of season eight he's grandpa he doesn't really have any reason to get back in the in the game until a witness shows up at his door i mean he could have dropped that witness off and then went back and packed his bags but it's i think he wants to settle down but at the same time i don't think he knows how to give up that life okay here's a question then that will move us into the other bit that we need to talk about for this episode <laughs> if terry doesn't die at the end of this episode, at the end of this season, and they're, all one big ha- they're all one big happy family, then does Jack quit CTU and actually have this settled down, normal dad like go into private security or whatever he would do that fits his skill set and not have to deal with this? Because ultimately, season one, you look at it, how can you... It seems hard for him to justify getting through this day. His daughter hasn't been kidnapped twice. His wife's been kidnapped. Um, they're having a new baby. You know, his life was on the line a couple of times. He's saved the next president twice. You know, it feels hard for him to justify going back to this world. After this, if, if, his, if he's got his wife, he's got his daughter, he's got a new child coming in six, seven months, then why would he want to stay in this life? But obviously Terry does die. And when he gets estranged from Kim, yes, he quits, you know, partly because he doesn't want to do this, but partly I feel... Um, you know, I think he has the guilt of the fact that it being this job, being at CTU, got his wife killed. Um, and so that kind of, that, that changed it. That means he can't actually 
settle down because what is there to settle <clears> down to? <throat> he loses everything. And so although he's ended up, he ended up being quite reluctant to go back to CTU, it's the only thing he can do. He has nothing else in his life. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Because I, I think if, if Terry would, God forbid, would not have died and she would have had the baby and he would have had Kim, I think that would have inspired Jack enough to stay out of CTU, to stay out of the game. Terry dying is kind of a, a lingering thread pretty much throughout most of the eight seasons. Like there's always callbacks or mentions or, you know, something referencing her at some point during most of these seasons. So I think that he even said, I think he even said to Chase in season three, you can't have a normal family and still do this job. So I think if Terry hadn't have, hadn't have been killed and, you know, he would have saved the day and him and Terry and Kim would have reunited, I, I think that would have been enough to get him to stay out of the game. But once she died, it's like, yeah, he's got Kim, but Kim's grown now. So it's not really a situation where he has a whole lot left at home to come back to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And kind of, kind of going along that same line, it's not only the Jack say that, uh, chase but then also in season four tony made the statement too to audrey as they were discussing i can't remember the specific details at the moment now but they were discussing something about jack basically being having a desk job and tony's like yeah that's not the kind of life for him i mean he's basically the fact that he's he's like the field is where he needs to be and that's where he's always drawn to no matter how many times he tries to get behind a desk it doesn't last but yeah that definitely kind of does that there but but as to Terry and her death, the way they, they ended it, because they did a couple different alternate endings, right? Yeah, they did three They did three endings. Obviously, the one that we ended up having, where Terry dies. There's an alternate ending where Terry lives. It's a very similar scene. Uh, Jack, Kim goes with Jack out of the conference room, and then they get to the, you know, the, the door that he opens before he gets into the corridor where there's the, the guy down before he goes into the room when he, Terry's dead. Uh, he tells Kim to go back at that point, and then the rest of the scene is the exact same up until Terry is alive. Kim comes in, they'll walk out together, happy family. There is a third one, but I've never seen it. I don't think it ever got released. Um, I've got no idea what's in it, but it is, again, involving Terry still staying alive. I mean, I've, I've thought long about this over the years. That season one is a great season of television, and it loses a lot of quality if Terry doesn't die. I know Joel's going to support this for his own reasons, <laughs> but from a story perspective, I mean, you've gone through this whole day, Jack's being targeted, Palm's being targeted, their family's being targeted. You get through the whole day and they're all alive. It feels like it just doesn't feel very satisfying. There's also the element that throughout the season, everyone's sort of done the thing that they should for their character in the scene that they're in. You have the whole thing with, with Nina of having to hide, trying to escape. I mean, there's the phone call of uh, that she talks to her German contact and she says that nothing can connect you to Germany during this time. And so I feel like if Terry, if Nina walks out of that room, Hat doesn't kill Terry, having Terry having heard her speaking German, then it just kind of undermines everything because, you know, Nina is... I know Joel didn't like this last week, but Nina is this ruthless character at this point. Why wouldn't she kill Terry? Why wouldn't she kill Terry? That's just... Uh, 
She has to. <clears throat> she has to kill Terry. The season has to end with Terry dying in this, in, so in the way that it's structured. So, Joel, does Nina become your favorite character now? <laughs> well, Nina, Nina, Nina went from the bottom to easily top five just with that those last five minutes. Okay, <laughs> I was I was begging Jack not to shoot her. Okay, give her at least one or give her at least a couple more seasons just for the fact that she killed Terry. Just on that fact alone, should buy her at least two more seasons. The other thing that's interesting about it is that <laughs> Terry does reveal to Nina. It was in the, I think it's, there's a scene in the in 23, um, which was in the extended special DVD where she actually has a proper sort of minute long conversation about the fact that, that she's pregnant. It wasn't on the the rerun that I watched, but then in the finale, just before Terry spots the blood, she mentions sort of very casually in conversation about the fact that they're going to have a baby. Guess where Nina shoots her? <laughs> yeah. In the that stomach. Was a, that was a little, yeah. uh, okay. So that might have been a little callous. It's um, a bit of resentment, I feel, isn't it? <laughs> Nina yeah. having, you know, Nina obviously betraying Jack, fine. But Nina having had this relationship with Jack, one last little bit of resentment towards the his actual wife, maybe? Yeah. I, I could, I could tell that there was a little bit of resentment from the from the onset, just based on the conversations that Nina and and Terry have been having. I could tell that there was just a bit of resentment, not just on Terry's side, but on Nina's side as well. And I just think that was it. It's always the little things that you know. Sometimes you might miss through the first watching of the season. But when you go back and you start to analyze certain things, you start to notice. And that was just another one of those little things that, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, if you're going to die, then I'm going to shoot you exactly where, exactly where it's going to hurt the most, <laughs> right in the stomach. So maybe I feel a little bit sorry for Terry. Just a little bit. Wow. Just, just a little Don't bit. Don't feeling en- sorry for Terry. Not enough to bring her up the list of worst characters, but. Just a little bit. Yeah, I just had to mark that on my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know who is the worst character in this finale? George Mason. Because Jack calls him to tell her tell him to arrest Nina, having discovered that Kim's alive. Mason obviously doesn't believe it and he tells him to keep an eye on her. Mason does absolutely nothing for ten minutes, and then when Jack sends the footage of Jamie getting killed, only by the oh, okay, now's the time I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, it's not not George's uh, finest moments. I mean, I, on one hand, I could get it that he didn't want to tip her off, but on the other hand, he waited a good ten minutes before he did anything, and even then, it was only after he saw the video. I think I would have at least apprehended her and put her in the conference room and didn't let her leave until I saw the video. But I mean, where's the fun in that? I mean, really? Well, no idea what she is like. He does. He doesn't even need to detain her. It's just Jack did tell him to keep an eye on her or like don't let him don't let her out of his sight. And obviously she was in the server room with Terry. He had no idea where she was he, she was at all. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I really liked George George Mason very much during this season. And so He has some he great some, one He has some good though. lines, yeah. He has some great lines. <laughs> but as a character he's just horrendous. Yeah. But what what I will say that one character that I didn't particularly like at the beginning of season one that I really started to like toward the end of season one was Tony. 
because mm-hmm. I did not. I think I mentioned this on the first podcast that I was on. I didn't really like Tony too much during the first, I say, handful of episodes. He seemed like one of those smarmy, uh, sneaky snakes that he was always by the book, and he's always the one that's going to go snitch to the manager and letting his feelings for for Nina kind of cloud his judgment of Jack. And it wasn't until probably the interrogation with Jamie that I really started to kind of warm up to him a little bit. I really started to warm up to him a little bit. I did notice a little bit of a foreshadowing though, when I was rewatching his interrogation with Jamie and how um, (laughs) Tony asked Jamie, how could you do that? And she said, what, like, how could you betray your own country and cause so many people that you work with to die? And it's just, it's kind of interesting foreshadowing considering what eventually happens in season seven. (laughs) So I just thought that was a, I kind of, I kind of got a little, uh, kind of got a little emotional when I heard that part. Kind of mm-hmm. touched me right here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, now one thing I did is I looked up a couple quotes that I liked from the season, and I got a couple of them on here. But the first one I wanted to share kind of ties back to something that we we mentioned before. There, how the showrunners and whatnot are trying have been trying to say and try to sell that 24 is not about Jack Bauer, that the star of the show is the real-time format and all that. Yet, the way the entire show starts and throughout the whole season, yeah, the or maybe not the whole thing, but for many of the episodes at least, it starts with Jack coming on and saying, I'm federal agent Jack Bauer, and today is the longest day of my life. It just sets the whole premise that the entire season... And the entire show is about him and his life, his journey, everything viewed through his lens, basically. So it just really kind of underscores that. I think we mentioned that in passing, but it was just another reminder as I looked at that. That that whole thing of if Terry doesn't die, then Jack settles down, has a family, leaves CTU. If Terry doesn't die at the end of this season, there is no season two. Because you don't follow Jack because he's gone. And I don't think you base it around the people that are left at CTU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that season one is, to my knowledge, the only season that has that kind of intro. I think, I don't think it's a coincidence because I think from season two on, especially, you know, as the level of threats escalated, because season one was a very personal story. It was very um, condensed there wasn't really there wasn't really any biological or nuclear or any kind of global threat it was just mainly a personal story about jack and palmer and the drazens and i think from season 2 on i think they tried to make it more about the real time 24 kind of aspect and even though jack was still a central part of the story I think from season two on, they tried to make it as much as they could about the actual racing against the clock to, you know, stop a nuclear threat and the real time aspect of the show, so to speak. Yeah, the real time thing, actually, it's a good point. The real time aspect feels a little bit incidental in season one. It feels kind of like it's there because, it, you know, it's, it's there and it does add to the tension a lot. I mean, you have the whole sort of it, there is a sense of racing against time in thinking about how 
Jack, if Jack doesn't get to Terry and Kim quickly, then they'll get killed by Gaines. You know, the Draisons are going to try and break out their father at 7.20. They want to leave the country at midnight. It all plays into the story, but ultimately all it does is just add to the tension of, well, there's never a break. You know, there's never a Jack Jack finds um, Ted Kofel and then interrogates him and finds location. And then it cuts to, oh, he's at the compound. It always feels, you know, it, it, the, the reason the real-time thing exists is to just enhance the tension of, oh, okay, we're kind of following the bits in between of Jack getting to this place or this person finding out this thing before they can act on it. Whereas you are right, Joel, season two onwards, you know, it's race against the clock. It's we need to stop this bomb from going off that's going to go off in an hour's time. Um, you know, the nerve gas is going to be released at the hospital at 6 p.m., this sort of thing. Which it works in future seasons because and I don't think you could have done that there are elements of a personal story in future seasons and you know, this end of season eight particularly, but I don't think you could have done season one again. I think season one is unique and it had to be unique. I think it had to be this really personal story for Jack. And then beyond that you do have to kind of go into Jack is this federal agent hero and you have to actually show him doing his job more, I think. Yeah, and actually I read something where it said that after season one going into season two, I can't remember who it was that was trying to do this, but they were actually going to make the format be 24 hours within each episode and then each episode be a new day. And so I'm actually glad they didn't do it that way because, I mean, any show can do that type of format and it loses the intensity when you do that too. And so for the most part... Yeah, it loses its, its 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 intensity, but at the at the same time, there are some seasons where it almost becomes a little unrealistic that you know they can they can realize the threat, neutralize the threat, and get rid of the threat all in a twenty four hour time period. Whereas you know, realistically, it sometimes takes agencies you know sits eight sometimes a year to do what they did in basically 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But that's part of suspending your disbelief a little bit, which is the case with most television shows. Cause I mean, most television shows you watch from the detective shows, the NCIS shows, the, you know, all, all the shows that deal with this type of field you kind of got to suspend your disbelief a little bit because they, for the most part, they adhere to, you know, realistic tones and how things would actually happen. But they do tend to take a few liberties here and there that you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) that wouldn't really happen, would it? I think that's kind of how you got to look at 24 sometimes. Kind of got to suspend your disbelief a little bit because there's about – I say about 70% of what Jack does probably wouldn't actually make it <laughs> in this day and age. I mean, at the risk of this becoming a more general 24 podcast, with the real-time thing, we talked a little bit about a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, about that stretch after the Bowers get rescued. And I even <clears> put <throat> the notes that sort of that middle stretch is a little bit rough. But that's largely because of Terry and the Terry Unleashed story. And you look at... Um, Jack and David Palmer, Jack being interrogated, Jack and Elizabeth Nash. I mean, it takes, when he gets back to CTU, it's 1 p.m. And when he finally gets the next lead on 
finding Andre, it's 5 p.m. when he get when he t- intercepts that call about Sorgus. In that time, he has sat in, in a holding cell for an hour and a half. He's had an hour or so sitting in a conference room with David Palmer trying to look through files about the Drazens, and he's had an hour-long sting operation. You know, you look at future seasons, and in that time, he does 10 times as many things. But this is why I love season one, is that you have that quiet intensity. You know, it's not action sequences every 20 minutes. You know, it's great when that happens. Season five is fantastic. But season one has that real quiet, real considered approach to everything. And it is very unique in the 24 world. I think it does get a little bit lost in future seasons. And I think 24 kind of goes from being a drama with action to an action show with drama. And I do feel like season one is the best representation of what 24 is at its best. Yeah, I can agree with that. Absolutely. Another quote that I found I think is really good and it kind of plays a pivotal part and maybe even kind of some in future episodes too, where Jack says, I can't remember who he was saying it to exactly. My mind's going blank on it, but he says, you can look the other way once and it's no big deal, except it makes it easier for you to compromise the next time. And pretty soon that's all you're doing. Was it Janina? Okay. Yeah. And he says compromising because that's the way you think things are done. You know, those guys I busted, you think they were the bad guys? Because they weren't. They weren't bad guys. They were just like you and me, except they compromised once. It's a real tell, which is interesting because you see Jack, he's making compromises along the way, too, because he's being put in these situations. And so I, I just thought it was really interesting. But it's also very telling, too, because you see the different people the different characters as as they go through they make a compromise in one thing and then it's like they're forced to keep making those compromises until they're doing something they're they're not wanting to i, I just thought that was an interesting quote <clears throat> is your suggestion from this that jack is actually a bad guy that is not my suggestion <laughs> but that felt like a suggestion it did feel no, like a suggestion but but it is really interesting though is that we don't have any clear-cut good guy always doing the right thing versus bad guy always doing the wrong thing. You got a good guy that has this negative dark side there and you have these bad guys that maybe their motives and whatever are not quite so bad. So they're, they're really blurring the lines a lot in that. And so I think they, they really show though the fact that Jack, even though overall he's doing the right thing, how he gets there is sometimes questionable but and i mean and he could easily at at any point turn to the dark side this isn't star wars but but he could just because of the different things that he's done the things that he's experienced the things that he's been through and so the way tony went jack could have gone and so he could have easily have gone that way yeah no you are you are right i was going to throw in this star wars variation but i decided against it <laughs> um Good job. It is kind. Of, it is kind of a minor miracle, actually, that he doesn't end up being Tony, season seven Tony in season two. Mm-hmm. Could very easily happen, and, and there are. I mean, there are elements, aren't there? He happens in season eight. I mean, season two. Obviously, we'll get into it next week. But he, I mean, he shoots a guy in the first episode. He shoots a witness and beheads him. Like he, he's a complete psycho at times. Jack. He does the right thing, um, mm-hmm. as he sees fit at the time. Yes, it's not always the the perfect thing. You know, there are consequences to it. From a morality standpoint, you'd probably put him in bad category, I think. But 
I mean, you know, you, you've written down the quote about um, with with Tony and Chappelle yeah. saying that he, he wouldn't disagree with a single decision he's made during the course of the day. And I feel like watching it, you have that same sort of idea that actually Jack makes some terrible decisions, but they're also the right decisions. He's made some questionable decisions, but I think when you get right down to it, I think the one person that really understands the decisions he's made is Tony. Because, I mean, you look at the their relationship at the beginning of season one where Tony really couldn't stand Jack. And then you look at the beginning of season two, Tony's the only guy that Jack trusts. I think Jack will compromise a lot of things, but I think one thing Jack will not compromise is his integrity. He might compromise his morality a little bit, but his integrity and the fact that he always does it for the right reasons. I think that was one of the things that he would not compromise. He came close a couple of times. You know, there was a couple of times where he had to kind of go along with the bad guys to kind of get the result that he needed to get. But at the end of the day, I don't think it, even though he lost Terry and that kind of broke him, I think at the end, I think that kind of helped him a little bit because once he got over that initial grieving period. I think the main thing that he wanted to do was to do what Terry would want him to do. And I think every time he would get close to questioning his morality, he would think about that. And I think that's one of the, it's like I said, there'll be little threads of Terry, you know, draped throughout most of the seasons. And I think most of his character draws back to that season one finale where he lost Terry. I think that's if he didn't, if he didn't compromise his morality, then I don't think, aside from maybe losing Kim, I don't think there would have been anything that could have driven him to that point. This is only furthering my belief that Terry dying was essential to the story, and the alternate ending was kind of pointless. Well, I'm all for Terry dying, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they did the alternate ending just so that, like, nobody knew what the actual ending was going to be. There, until there was an element to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so, I think that was a big part of it. Cause I know, I know a lot of movies and TV shows do that with their finales and their endings so that nothing can leak as to like, this is actually what happens because they shot and did whatever multiple versions and no one knows what actually happened. And they even limit sometimes the people that are involved in that to like just the people that are there. Nobody else knows anything. So yeah, I think I think I think I think, they, I think they shot it with knowing fully knowing that Terry was going to die, and then only sort of Kiefer, Leslie Hope, and a few others, and obviously the people that were involved in the creation process, um, knew that that was going to be the ending they used. I think uh, uh, don't quote me on this because I'm not certain, but I, I imagine that large parts of the cast and crew that were not required for that finale or that didn't need to know about it wouldn't have known which way it ended. I would guess. Might be wrong. Yeah. Now, one thing I do want to do is we did get some email feedback, and I'm saving it for the end here just because it didn't tie in with most of the stuff we talked about so far, but it does kind of tie in now. So this came from Hafiz, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. She makes a comment, or he makes a comment about the middle stretch there from 14 to 19, and the fact that it was great that Jack and Palmer were in the same room. They were able to work together. They met and all the cooperation that, that went on there. They wish that there could have been more 
with Jack and Palmer in there. But they we also mentioned here that it's amazing how people's perception of Mason changed as uh, he was a pain in season one, but then we ended up rooting for him in season two, at least to some extent. We, I mean, it, the because of what happened to him uh, halfway through the season, would I mean, it kind of drew us into at least tolerating him, liking him to some extent. And so the question she puts out is, do you guys think that the way we view season one now is very different knowing how things play out later? Like our perception of season one when we first saw season one versus how we see season one now. Because there's a lot of times that we've been referencing like, yeah, Jack does this and we see the comparison. And But I mean, how do you think it plays out as far as like the way we view it now differently? Well, just on the the Jack and Palmer thing, I mean, it is kind of incredible that Jack and Palmer is the one of the longest standing relationships in the show, possibly one of the most important, and they only ever share a room three times, and it's in season one. They never, you know, we never see them again in in the, in the same room. They talk on the phone a lot in future seasons, but these are the only times we ever see them meet. It's kind of incredible, actually. As for the season one playing out differently. Yeah, I think I think you do. I think you kind of, you know, twenty four so is so heavily built on that that twisty narrative. You know, not knowing what's coming, the thought that anything could happen in the next scene. So, yeah, when you know that Terry's going to die at the end, you know that Jack's going to rescue Terry and Kim. You know that all these sorts of things are going to happen. You know, Elizabeth Nash is going to stab Alexis Drazen. It doesn't make any of the scenes less tense. It doesn't make them any less interesting. But I do feel like you do look for certain things or certainly I look for certain things. You'll notice things being set up for, for the future that you know is coming. Um, yeah, I think, I think we do view it differently. Yeah. I mean, if you look at season one, just as a singular event without even, without even the knowledge that there were eight other seasons, if you just look at it as a singular event, the ending itself does make you want more. Um, even, you know, with Terry dying, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> and Kim. If I had one negative about season one finale, if there was one thing that I could look back and say, I wish they would have done this, is I wish they would have shown Kim's reaction to Terry dying. Because they showed, they showed Jack, he was cradling her in her arms, and, you know, they had the flashbacks and, you know, everything like that. But they didn't show Kim finding out. If I had to go back and change one thing, that would probably be the only thing I would change. But when you see season one and you know that Nina did not die and the fact that Terry's dead, it kind of sets the stage for a season two. But if you're just looking at, sing- at season one as a singular event without even the knowledge that there was a season, in your mind, you would probably think that, okay, season two is going to be built around Jack versus Nina. Nina's set up as the, I guess, the big bad or the main villain of season two, and Jack is going to be the one to take her down. If you're just watching season one without the knowledge of the season two, that's what you would probably think, that they kept her alive because they were setting her up as the main villain for season two. And I think that alone makes a season two an intriguing possibility without even knowing what actually happened in season two. So I think, yeah, once you actually watched all the seasons you look at it a bit differently but if you were just watching season two for the first time you would there would still be enough meat on the bone for a season or season two if you didn't even know what happened in season two i'm not sure i agree with you wanting to 
change it so that we see Kim's reaction. To be honest, I think I mean, it's the only time we ever see flashbacks in the show um, is, is the final scene with Jack. Kiefer Sutherland is great. We didn't mention that earlier. Kiefer Sutherland at his absolute best or one of his absolute best um, in that final scene. I feel like it kind of undercuts a little bit of the drama. I don't, you know, we've talked a lot here about how season one is seen through the eyes of Jack, how, you know, 24 of the show is all about Jack. And so it feels very right that Terry's death and the end of season one is very much framed around Jack's reaction. You know, Kim has been sort of a peripheral character. Yes, who's been heavily involved in the story because it's all about Jack's family getting kidnapped. She's been kidnapped twice. You know, she's had her own plot lines. But ultimately, this is Jack's story. Jack is is so so such a big part, such an essential part of this season and this show that it feels very right ending on this. That's true. But if I can just if I just say one more thing, while you do have a point, I think a good chunk of season one has been built around Kim and Terry repairing their relationship. Because you can tell in, in the the pilot episode one that Kim holds a lot of resentment toward her mother. I don't know if she blames her for her and Jack splitting up or what the reason was, because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But a majority of their scenes in season one is about repairing that relationship. So I just think that showing her at the, the final episode, showing her reaction to Terry's death after they basically spent the whole day together trying to repair that relationship, I just think that would have been... Even though it was about Jack, I just think that would have been kind of a an interesting nugget there to kind of show her reaction to her mother dying. No, I do agree with that. I think it, it would have been nice. Um and obviously we get some of that in season two, sort of eighteen months on. But I don't I don't feel it's essential. I feel I think the I mean the final sort of ten minutes of the show of the season, sorry, work perfectly for me. Yeah, I so. see I see both. And so I I can see that, that little bit of resolution being desired, but that could be also like one of those open loops that they leave maybe on purpose. Perhaps they did it on purpose to filter over into season two, because I mean, as you start season two, you don't necessarily know. I mean, obviously very quickly you understand that Jack and Kim are not really on talking terms and things like that, but, but it's so, so you, so you kind of get that pretty quickly as you get into season two, but, but yeah, so it kind of leaves that open loop. But also thinking of other things that are kind of like mentioned in season one or alluded to in season one that kind of trail into future seasons is um, a big thing here is with Saunders in season three is is here in season one. Obviously, we're introduced to Nightfall and the whole thing that came with, with that. And then as that's done, as far as Jack knew, everything was done and wrapped up he knew the situation that happened and then as we go through and finish season one we're realizing okay there are things that that turned out that jack didn't realize he didn't know that okay this person's alive and that person's alive and then we come to season three we find out that there's a another person that is yet alive and is holding jack responsible for some things and so and so we get so so there's a little bit of tie-in there with this season as well. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because actually he's, he doesn't hold Jack responsible for anything. There's a, there's a common thread of, you know, I think he says about to him that you'll be abandoned by your country one day like I was. But he's doing this because, and, and that is the reason that he's doing this. He's doing, he releases the virus 
because he feels like his country, his adopted country, of course, him being British, having been taken on by the US, he feels that they betrayed him. They left him to, to rot in a, in a Bosnian prison for two years. And so he's trying to get their, his, his revenge. What's interesting to me is that we see throughout season one, you know, Jack talking about with DeSalvo how the mission that he went on, Nightfall, was set up to fail from the start because the government wanted to keep Drazen as an informant for themselves. So they sent them there, six-man team. Palmer sent them there. He didn't know that it was a it was going to be complete nonsense. He didn't know that he was going to they were going to blow up an empty building. But other people in the government have set this up, set this in motion, and as a result, Jack lost all of his team, or he thought he did. Um, Stephen Saunders ended up surviving. Does he know? I don't. I don't think he knows that actually Nightfall was a sham. It was a fraudulent mission, and that he got tortured for two years for nothing. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> at first, I kind of thought the the Stephen Saunders thread was kind of unnecessary because we we just you know we kind of put a put a little bow on the Nightfall mission you know two seasons prior. But as it progressed and as more information came out, I started to, to see that side of it. I was like, okay, I can, I can understand that. But it's like you said, in Jack's mind, all of his team are dead. He's, and Jack does what he always does. He blames himself. I'm the reason that my whole team is dead. And I think even, even in season three, as this is coming out, I think he still has that in the back of his mind that, you know, I could have prevented this. I could have, you know, if it was, I could have stopped this from happening, and I didn't. And I think that was, it's that vulnerability that makes Jack who he is, but it's also something that can easily be exploited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up, and next week we're going to be coming back, and we're going to be getting into season number two, and so we'll cover maybe just the beginning of it and we'll be probably covering like the get the groundwork set for it and things like that. So if you have any feedback, any opinions or anything like that you want to send in for season two, definitely do that. You can go to 24faithful.com and be able to do that. Or you can even call in, leave a voicemail message. And that number is 405-771-0567. We would love to be able to get your feedback on here. And I think that's all we got for this week. So thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week. 